Hey everybody, welcome back to Grace City Church Online. So glad you could join us today for worship. Uh, today we're going to be talking about Psalm chapter 23. Now, this is a very popular psalm, it's probably a psalm that you've heard before, but if you haven't, uh, we're going to be getting into what exactly David means uh, when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So before I get into the psalm, uh, I want to I talk about what we're led by. You know, it's often said that everyone is led by something, okay? In the 21st century, we like to think that we're kind of completely autonomous individuals. We make our own decisions. Nothing really influences us. You know, I read what I see on the news, but I make my own decisions. You know, I, I see stuff on social media, but I'm my own person. I'm not influenced by that stuff. You know, we'd like to think that that is true, but that is just not the case. Everybody is influenced by something, led by something. They tend to follow some sort of crowd of information. Uh, so we're all led by something. We're not completely autonomous individuals, okay? Uh, King David understood this, and that is kind of what Psalm 23 about. Um, just because we're not fully autonomous individuals and we're influenced by things and we're led by things, it doesn't mean we don't have a say in what influences us or what we want to follow. Uh, so like I said, Psalm 23 is probably the most quoted psalm of all time, okay? Uh, if you go to a funeral, there's probably a 50-50 chance that it's going to be in the eulogy, that the, uh, that the service is going to include this psalm. Uh, it's quoted in Kanye West's first album, College Dropout, on the track Jesus Walks. Uh, it's even the title of an episode of Lost. So it's, it's very much popular in Christian culture, secular culture. Uh, it's a very popular psalm. But why is that? Why is this Bible, uh, why is this Bible passage so popular in, secular, in the secular world and in the Christian world? Well, it, it basically talks about being cared for, about being watched over. And I think that's just something that a lot of people like, feel good about. They like to be cared for. They like to be watched over. So when people read this passage, they just like to resonate with it. And it, it just feels very good. So uh, before I read the psalm, I'm going to pray. Uh, and, and we can see what, what David uh, is praying in this psalm. So join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture. We thank you for speaking through your word and for leading us and guiding us as your people. I pray that you would speak to us through this psalm today and we would understand what you have for us and what the meaning is and how you fulfill this in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so starting in verse one of Psalm chapter 23, if you have your Bible, uh, open up to Psalm chapter 23 and read with me. Starting in verse one, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All right, so this is a beautiful psalm, like I said. A lot of people have heard, heard it before, uh, but if you haven't heard it before, probably something that strikes you is like, okay, he's, he's kind of speaking from the perspective of a sheep. He's talking about the Lord as his shepherd and all the stuff that he does for him kind of like a sheep would think about his shepherd, okay? But David's not the first person to use this sort of language. This is a, 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 
a theme that we see throughout the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible app with you or if you're on your computer and you want to go to BibleGateway.com or some other sort of Bible uh, search engine and you were to type into that Bible search engine uh, sheep and shepherd and you, you click search, you would get a bunch of verses and passages that pop up talking about God's people as sheep and the Lord as a shepherd. Okay, so for example, you'll, you'll find scripture talking about um, uh, people being like sheep without a shepherd, not having any guidance. Or you'll talk about uh, like, uh, like sheep, all men have gone astray, talking about our sin and our disobedience and our wandering away from the Lord. This is a recurring theme that we see throughout the Old Testament, before and after this psalm. Okay, so uh, this is a common theme throughout scripture, and, uh, and we should keep that in mind when we're interpreting this and when we're reading the New Testament, because Jesus also talks a lot about sheep. So before we get into interpreting this, let's define what, what is a sheep? A lot of us have, know what a sheep is, but what is a sheep like? Okay, a lot of us aren't around farmland. A lot of us probably don't know the tendencies of sheep and the responsibility of sheep and the responsibility uh, of shepherds. Uh, so just a, a few bullet points here of what is a sheep like? What does a sheep act like? Okay, well, First of all, a sheep with a shepherd and a sheep without a shepherd are two very different animals, okay? A sheep without a shepherd is constantly in fear of predators. There's not really a lot of peace there. There's no, they have no defense mechanism except to just scream and run and hide. There's no defense mechanism for a sheep. They need some sort of protection from outside of themselves, okay? So a sheep without a shepherd is constantly in fear. There's no peace, and it's guided by its, its desires, its instincts, and the other sheep around it. Okay, sheep are very prone to follow whatever sheep is moving the fastest or whatever crowd of sheep is the biggest. Uh, they're not very good at thinking for themselves. They're not stupid, but they need to be led. They were designed to be led, much like, much like us. Okay, and a sheep with a shepherd, this is kind of the contrast, a sheep with a shepherd is taken to a place of peace in the sheep pen quite a lot, okay? It has a shepherd to guide it, to take care of it, uh, to shear it so that it doesn't get too hot. These uh, two situations, with and without a shepherd, make a sheep a completely different animal, okay? And, and sheep, of course, have a, a, a gregarious nature to herd together, and they have this very, very much a herd mentality, okay? And, and a, sheep, a shepherd can kind of curb that mentality. If all the sheep are trying to do something that's not good for them, a shepherd can intervene and lead them back into the sheep pen and bring protection, okay? And that's a shepherd's responsibility. A shepherd means to lead, to guide, and to have authority. And it takes a lot of patience to be a shepherd because a lot of sheep don't do what, is, what they're supposed to do all the time and in all situations. And a shepherd, it takes patience to be with the sheep. You end up smelling like sheep. It's not a desirable job. It takes a lot of Patience, it's not something that a lot of people want to do. So as we go through this psalm verse by verse, just uh, have that in your mind. This is what a shepherd is like, and this is what a sheep is like. It'll help us understand what David is trying to say here. So let's go back through this verse by verse and interpret what exactly uh, does David mean when he's comparing himself to a sheep and the Lord like a shepherd, okay? So the first three verses here, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Okay, so first observation here. To see the Lord as our shepherd, like David's, David shows here, is to see ourself as a sheep. Okay, it's to see ourself as someone who's 
prone to wander and in need of guidance. And it's to see the Lord as the one who leads and who guides and who has our best interests at heart. Okay? This requires a unique humility in God's people to admit that we cannot lead ourselves. And David has this humility. Okay? It means that we acknowledge our sin and we realize that we should not be in control. The shepherd should. And we look to him for guidance and provision. Okay? David was a shepherd by trade. And he was a military leader and a king. He was a leader in every sense of the word. Yet before God, he presents himself as a sheep, as someone who needs to be led. This is a wonderful picture of following Christ here. Before Christ comes, David still has this mentality that even though he's a leader in all these different facets before God, he cannot consider himself a leader at all. He is a follower of God. He needs guidance, okay? In the second part of that first verse, I shall not want, his starting place in this psalm is satisfaction. He says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I don't need anything else. I shall not want. His starting place is satisfaction, and he operates out of that. Okay. Uh, next, next verse, he acknowledges uh, green pastures and quiet waters. These, this is where the Lord leads him. Uh, for a sheep to be led to green pastures and quiet waters, this is a place to be nourished, to drink and to eat and to be at peace, where no fear of predators are around because the shepherd is there guarding you. Okay? This is what David is trying to communicate here. David has had a lot of people out to get him in his life. While, you know, before he started to be king, during his kingship, uh, towards the end, a lot of people are always out to get him. Uh, and he's clearly acknowledging that the Lord is his peace here. Wherever the Lord leads him, he knows that ultimately uh, he is protected by the Lord. Okay? The Lord leads us to these places, and that is the safest place you can be, according to David. Okay? Now, this, this third verse here, uh, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Okay? God shepherds us because he loves his sheep and because he deserves recognition as a good shepherd. Okay? He deserves to be recognized as one who takes care of his people, as one who takes care of his creation, and his glory is top priority in everything he does. That's the meaning of for his namesake. So moving right through here, we'll just look at uh, verses 4 and 5 next. Uh, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, the valley of the shadow of death is directly translate, translated as deep darkness. Okay, This is uh, if you can visualize this, this is when it seems like all vision, all foresight to what could possibly happen next is just gone. Okay, from the sheep's perspective, there is no visibility, there, you know, there is no self-guiding. You are completely reliant on someone else to guide you in this deep darkness. Okay? And his comparison here is that the Lord is there guiding us, guiding him through that deep darkness, the valley of the shadow of death. Even in the darkest places, the Lord is guiding us by his word and by his presence, okay? And this other image here we have of his rod and his staff. What is a shepherd's rod and staff for? It was for correction and guidance. And sometimes this is gentle, and sometimes this is rather unpleasant. You know, sometimes he's just guiding the sheep. Sometimes he has to whack the sheep uh, to get it to go where it needs to go for the good of the sheep, okay? 2 Timothy 3.16, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that 
the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the Lord's rod and staff. It's his word. It's what he's revealed to us. And sometimes we read the word and we're just getting this huge sense of God's love and protection and guidance for us. And we're just like, man, I love this. This feels great. You know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Yes. And then we see God's commands in scripture sometimes. And when it doesn't line up with how we're living, sometimes that's the discipline. That's the uncomfortable part. But we follow him through that and we trust him that those rebukes and, and that conviction is for our good. Okay, He's leading us uh, into a place of peace. Uh, he, he's equipping us for every good work, as Paul would say. So this is God's rod and staff. This is a principle to hold with us, to always be seeking God's will in our life by being in the word okay, in good times and bad so that we may be ready for every good work, whether we're in the green pastures or whether we're in the deep darkness. The shepherd is leading the same way in both of those. It's important to view God that way. He's the same during the good seasons and the bad seasons, and his glory is top priority during both of those. Okay. So the last verse here of Psalm 23, verse 6, David says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So a key observation to make here. Uh, he ends this psalm with the word forever. He does this with a lot of his psalms. He ends it talking about eternity or forever, about God's sovereignty and his endless timeline, basically. David has an eternal mindset, and this is how he's equipped to live in the temporary. Okay? It's very hard to live in the temporary with a temporary mindset. If you have the mindset that everything you, you have and, and everything about who you are will ultimately end one day, then you're constantly going to be, uh, you know, striving to, to maintain everything for as long as it can, you know. But David has an eternal mindset. He's clearly under the influence of God's promises of eter eternal life and the resurrection. And so he has an eternal mindset. He knows that the things of God, his relationship with the good shepherd, the Lord, is eternal. And so that trumps all of the, the things that could be happening on earth, whether he's in the presence of his enemies uh, or not, Okay. The only way David can have peace in his valleys of darkness or in the presence of his enemies is that he knows who holds the future. Not exactly what's in the future, but he knows who holds the future, the eternal future, okay? So this begs the question, how do we know that God is this shepherd? David's making a lot of claims here, okay? But what if God actually isn't like this? You know, is he just trying to convince himself that God is like this? How does he know that God is like this? We've seen, obviously, God's fulfilled so many supernatural promises in the Old Testament that David has more than enough reason uh, to, to see God as a, as a faithful promise keeper. And so he has reason to think this. But for us as Christians uh, who are after the time of Jesus, do we have any more reason to think that God is like this? We absolutely do. So like all scripture, like the whole Old Testament, all scripture points to Christ and is fulfilled in Christ. Okay, so uh, for someone who's, who's after Christ like us today, it's important to read this psalm and try to find Jesus in this somewhere. So if things are starting to pop into your head about things Jesus says about sheep and shepherd, that's good. That's accurate. That's, that's where we're going here. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, Jesus talks about people like sheep and himself like a shepherd all the time. And there's a reason that he's doing this. He's talking to Jewish people a lot talking to Pharisees, very religious people all the time who know the Old Testament like the back of their hand. When they hear sheep and shepherd in a metaphorical sense, 
they know what Jesus is talking about. They know that he's referring to this theme of scripture where people are like sheep and the Lord is like the shepherd, okay? All of the Old Testament, of course, points to our need for Christ and uh, his coming fulfillment of all things, okay? Some examples of this. So Genesis and the fall, that points to our sin and our need for a savior, okay? Adam and Eve, their marriage, uh, Paul describes marriage in Ephesians 5. He, it points to our eternal marriage as the church, as the bride of Christ, okay? It points us to Christ in some way. The exodus of Israel out of Egypt, it points to our exodus out of our slavery to sin and into an eternal promised land uh, after this life, okay? Um, King David and all the other kings, uh, as good as King David was and as good as some of the other kings were, their imperfections stick out and they show us our need for a perfect king, a perfect leader. All of these things from the Old Testament point us to Christ, and the Psalms are no different, okay? Now, they're different in the way that they're fulfilled, but they're not different in the fact that they are fulfilled uh, by Christ, okay? So, if I were to talk about the Old Testament being fulfilled by Christ, you probably think, okay, we've been learning about prophecies, about uh, prophecies about the coming Messiah, that he'll be born in Bethlehem, that he'll be you know, of humble means, that he'll be born of a virgin. Uh, all these specific things have to do with times and places and, and dates and manners of birth and stuff like that. Well, the Psalms are a bit different, okay? When you read through something like Psalm 23, you're not getting specifics like that. You're getting attributes of God. You know, David's talking about the way in which God uh, treats his people, the way in which God's people live with God's guidance and things like that. So how can Jesus fulfill a psalm like this? Well, it's by taking on the attributes of a psalm like Psalm 23 and revealing that he is the, the purpose of a psalm like that, or he is actually the focal point, even whether David realized it or not. So let, let's get into uh, John chapter 10, and let, let's see how, how Jesus actually fulfills this, okay? Now, remember, the Jews understand the theme of the Lord as shepherd and his people as sheep. They know the Old Testament very well, and Jesus knows this. That's why he's using this language, okay? So listen carefully to Jesus's words to the Jews and see what he's trying to get across to them, okay? So John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, okay? We're going to go through verse 21 here, uh, and, and we'll stop at various points along the way, okay? So starting in John 10, verse 1, Jesus says to the Jews, he says, truly I tell you, Anyone who doesn't enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from him because they, did, they don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus gave them this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. All right, so stop right there. So the Jews are clearly confused after the first six verses here. They're clearly confused as to what Jesus is trying to tell them. But what, what can we observe so far from what Jesus is saying? So, so far we, uh, in this metaphor, Jesus is saying that there is one gate. If we want to see the sheep pen, so he's been preaching about the kingdom of God. So he's still talking about the kingdom of God. That's what the sheep pen is. He's saying that there's one gate. There's one entryway into the kingdom of God. There's one way in, okay? Hasn't necessarily what, said what that is yet, 
Uh, but he says that there's one gate or door in, your tra- in another translation, one path, one way into the kingdom. Okay? So the Jews, they're like, okay, we don't understand what you mean. We get it. There's a gate. Can you tell us a little more? What is this gate? Okay, so Jesus answers them, starting in verse 7. He says, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Okay, so Jesus gives them a kind of a crazy answer here. They're probably freaking out. Okay, so first observation, first identification that Jesus makes is as the gate. Jesus says, you want to know who the gate is? I'm the gate. I am the way into the kingdom. It's me. It's not some other person. It's not some other thing. It's not something you do. It's me. I am the gate. Okay? And so he kind of assumes this question. Well, how do we, how do we find the gate? Where is this gate? How do we, you know, like, how do we get through you? How, this doesn't make sense. Well, what does he say next? He says, I've come so that it may have life and have it in abundance. And then he makes another identification. He says, I am the good shepherd. So he's made two identifications here. I'm the gate and I'm the shepherd. So if you're picturing this metaphor, you've got a sheep pen, you've got sheep, you've got a gate, and you've got a shepherd. And so far, Jesus says, I'm two completely different things or people in this metaphor. I'm not only the gate, I'm also the shepherd who leads you to the gate. So if you want to find the gate, me, you've got to listen to the shepherd, me. So he's taking full focus in this story here. Uh, and, and let's not forget that he's, he's promising, he's saying that he's come that the sheep may have life and have it in abundance, kind of like the life that David was describing in Psalm 23. Okay, And he's also talking about how they're avoiding wolves like predators, kind of like David was talking about in Psalm 23. Okay, so let's continue on here in verse 14. Once again, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. He's talking about the Gentiles there. So he's talking to Jews. He's saying, I don't just have sheep here. I have sheep from outside this. I have non-Jews. I have Gentiles that I'm going to be bringing in too. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he is a demon, and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Okay, so so much is going on here. Okay, so remember, up to this point, Jesus has made two identifications in this metaphor. He's saying, I'm the gate. I'm the way into the kingdom. And he's saying, I'm the shepherd. I'm the one who shows you to the gate into the kingdom, okay? 
And uh, so now he's, he's finishing up this metaphor and he's talking about his authority and his right to lay down his life for his own sheep. Now, can you think of anything, uh, a title that Jesus is called because he sacrifices himself for the sins of the world? Well, we're in John 10 right now. If you go back to John chapter 1 and the account of John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, what does he call him? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what is Jesus's third identification here uh, in this passage? When he's talking about how he's going to lay his life down for his sheep, he's saying he is the Lamb of God. So at this point, he has fulfilled this whole story, basically. He is three different characters. He's saying, I'm the gate into the kingdom of God. I'm the shepherd who leads you to the gate. And I'm the Lamb of God. I became one of you. I am a sheep just like you. I have become a sheep not just a sheep, but a, a innocent, baby, perfect, spotless sheep, a lamb, the lamb of God. He is all three. That has opened your eyes by its sacrifice to be able to hear the voice of the shepherd and, and follow the shepherd into the gate, the kingdom of God. Okay, so this, like, there's probably a lot going on in your head right now. There's a lot going on in my head as I was reading this. Uh, this was the first time I really realized, like, oh my gosh, Jesus is saying that he is basically every single part of this story, even the sheep to an extent. He's, this is what makes him the good shepherd. It's not that he's just good at his job, but he took on the position of a sheep, the lamb of God, so that the sheep could hear the voice of the shepherd and enter the gate, okay? So Christ fulfills David's Psalm 23 in this way. Just as David, a shepherd and a king and a captain, all these other leadership roles, but David, a shepherd, reversed the roles in this psalm and he saw himself as the sheep. Okay? That's what he did in his psalm. Now, Jesus, the good shepherd, in every sense of the word, laid down his life for his sheep. He died for his people, but not only that, he rose on the third day to give us new life in him life in abundance, just as he promised. So just as David, the shepherd, saw himself as a sheep, Jesus did the same thing. He was the better David. He saw himself as the Lamb of God, not just as a good shepherd, not just as a leader, but as a servant, okay? And this is great news, if it's true. Uh, you're probably wondering, why are you questioning yourself all the time? Well, I just want us to have certainty that this is who God is. This is who Christ has revealed himself as, okay? Now, because there's, there's a lot of people in this story that are saying Jesus is crazy, okay? After verse 6, they're like, we don't understand what you're talking about. After verse, um, after verse 18, the Jews are divided, and some are saying, why are you listening to this crazy person? You can't be the gate and the shepherd and the lamb of God. You can't be all these things. And then other people are saying, how can you say he's crazy? He's opening the eyes of the blind, okay? Uh, so yeah, you, you basically have two options here. Either Jesus is telling the truth and he's God. He is the Lord that David is, David is talking about in Psalm 23, or he's crazy, just like some of the Jews say. But it begs the question, how does a crazy man gain so many followers while having no money, no power, no formal education, no connections, Nothing on this earth to gain by laying his life down except what he claimed was the kingdom of God. You know, why would most of the apostles 
give their lives to defending what Jesus is saying here, that he is the son of God, that he is the gate, the shepherd, the lamb of God. There's only one explanation. They witnessed his saving power by seeing Jesus's resurrection from the dead, the great hope of God's people. The great hope of God's people is not just that Jesus is the gate, the way to the kingdom. It's not just that he's a great leader and he designed us to be guided by him, but it's all three. It's that he's the way, he is the shepherd, and he is the lamb of God. He's the sacrifice that opened the eyes of the blind, that opened the ears of the deaf so that we could hear the shepherd's voice and enter into the kingdom of God. Okay, so how do we apply Psalm 23? Well, if you're on this side of Christ, we apply it through Christ. So we see the good shepherd even more clearly as David did, because we have seen God manifest himself as Christ. We see it uh, through the eyewitness testimony that is the New Testament, that is the Gospels, okay? And the beauty of the Gospel is that all of our longings for peace, protection, guidance, all of these things are fulfilled in the very one who designed them into us. Colossians chapter 1 tells us that all things were made through Christ, for Christ, by Christ, and that the very one who died for us was the very one who created us, okay? And so all of these longings that we feel, every human being has a desire to fulfill these longings. They are fulfilled in Christ, and Christ is who we should look to first to fulfill these desires. So we don't have to figure out, uh, you know, from the world how to go get peace, okay? Christ has come into the world to give us peace, and that abundant life that he's talking about in John chapter 10. You know, we don't have to figure out how to guide ourselves by the ways of the world, or as Paul would say, the elementary, the elementary principles of the world. No, but God has revealed himself in Christ uh, as the fulfillment of all of Scripture so that we can be guided by his word, and by his presence, by his spirit. Okay, we don't need the world. Now, I'm not saying that you don't have a mentor and you don't you know, learn, you don't get educated. Those things are all great, but you're, the pinnacle of guidance is Christ. If we're being guided by the world, it's just the blind leading the blind. You know, no one really has uh, better guidance than the one who created you and everything in the world uh, to be guided by him, okay? Uh, so we have all these things in Christ. We don't have to figure out how to earn God's blessing because uh, in Christ, God has blessed us with all eternal things, okay? Uh, and as Romans 5, 8 says, Christ has proven his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we don't have to, as God's sheep, we don't have to earn the love of the shepherd, okay? As, as Christ said, he willingly laid his life down because he had the right to. It was a choice made by him to love his sheep. Okay, so in order to apply this, we must see ourselves as a sheep, not not say that we're stupid or we're dumb, but that we're prone to wander, we're prone to leave the shepherd, uh, but it's, it's such good news that the shepherd runs after us, even lays his life down as the lamb of God so that his sheep can come back uh, to the gate. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you so much. We thank you for your word. Uh, I just pray that you would hide the scripture in our hearts and you would, sh you would use it to just show us the beauty of your word and of scripture and how in all things you fulfill, uh, you fulfill all your scripture and all things in Christ. Not just uh, your sacrifice on the cross, but, but just your entire life that you lived leading up to that, your resurrection, all of it has such deep, rich meaning for our lives. And it's just an endless pit of 
beauty, basically, that we can, that we can drink from, a, an endless well that we, can, that we can drink from. So I pray that you would apply this to our hearts and that we would go through life more and more each day seeking you above the world and being in the world but not of the world, but being completely satisfied in you and that being the place that we operate out of. Out of. We don't operate out of earning things from you, but we operate out of the blessings that you've given us in Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.